Welcome to Rapham Focus, a podcast devoted to exploring the provocative and impactful aspects of the research published in Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine. Here, we'll make sure to discuss and debate the findings that matter most for clinicians, patients, and policymakers. I'm Brian Seitz, Editor-in-Chief. I am an anesthesiologist and professor at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. At Rapham, we believe well-done pain medicine improves health and well-being. I'll work to keep the discussion relevant and factual. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome to the Rapham Focus Podcast. I'm Rapham Editor and your usual host, Dr. Brian Seitz. Today, I'm happy to welcome my colleague, Dr. Ed Mariano, to guest host our episode with Dr. Kareem El-Baghdadli. Regional anesthesiology is the science and clinical practice of targeted nerve blockade for the purpose of providing selective surgical anesthesia or perioperative pain relief. This subspecialty has become part of acute pain medicine in recent years, with fellowship programs now eligible for accreditation by the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education in the U.S. In surgical care worldwide, there has been a growing trend towards enhanced recovery, with the emphasis on early mobility, avoidance of unnecessary procedures, and drug-induced side effects, and faster return of normal gastrointestinal function with the end result of shorter hospital, hospital stay. It's natural to assume that regional anesthesiology and acute pain medicine would play a central role in enhanced recovery protocols for all of the well-described benefits. However, the base of evidence is continually evolving as both anesthetic and surgical practices change. We will explore some of the potential controversies in today's episode of the podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Kareem El-Baghdadli. He is a consultant anesthetist at Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Trust in London and editor of the journal Anesthesia. Kareem completed his undergraduate training at University College London in 2007 and proceeded to undertake his anesthetic training in Southeast School of Anesthesia. He was awarded the Nuffield Prize for the Fellowship of the Royal College of Anesthetists and completed fellowships in pre-hospital medicine in Australia, followed by regional anesthesia in Toronto, Canada. Kareem is an honorary senior lecturer at King's College London, and his research interests include regional anesthesia, airway management, and research delivery. He is a brilliant researcher and writer, and is well known for his work in the COVID Surge Collaborative during the ongoing pandemic, and the Azra Ezra Regional Anesthesia Nomenclature Project, which was published recently and continues. He's also a very good friend of mine, and I've had the distinct pleasure of working with him on some very interesting projects. Kareem, thank you so much for joining us on the Rappin' Podcast. Thanks, Ed. Absolute pleasure to be here. And that was a very long introduction to someone who's actually very, uh, is very simple. Um, uh, and for everyone out there who knows me, I'm just Kareem with none of the, all of that noise in the background that, that, uh, that Ed introduced. But thank you so much for that really, really kind introduction. Great to be here. Well, as you can tell, Kareem is also extremely humble in addition to all of his great achievements. Um, he's been a great friend, incredible collaborator. Um, he's been a mentor for me um, as an editor of Anesthesia as well. Um, and I constantly learn uh, so many things about his, um, his attention to detail, especially when it comes to study design and manuscript preparation. Kareem is the lead author of a new article entitled The Role of Regional Anesthesia and Analgesia in Enhanced Recovery After Colorectal Surgery, a systematic review of randomized clinical trials in regional anesthesia and pain medicine. This was the result of an international collaboration that also included a couple of familiar names in the regional anesthesiology and enhanced recovery world, Professors Vincent Chan and Henrik Kellett. 
The investigators carefully evaluated 13 published RCT studies involving 1,170 participants and concluded that regional analgesia may only have modest evidence to support its inclusion in enhanced recovery protocols involving colorectal surgery patients. Let's let that sit for a moment. Let's start off with this question. So Kareem, can you please tell me a little bit more about how you came up with this study and how you assembled your research team? Yeah, thanks for the summary of the key findings there, Ed. Uh, so what we did is we, we talked about a little bit about how important packages and protocols are. And we started to think about how each element of the protocol, how important is each element? Or is it really the whole package? Is it the whole protocol that really matters and, and really gets patients through? And we know, you know, it's marginal gains. So so with those marginal gains, does each intervention have actually that significant an impact? So we started to think about each individual element of multimodal analgesia. Uh, and uh, with each individual element, there is now some robust evidence that each individual element of multimodal analgesia actually has an additive effect on analgesic outcomes. So great. We're, we thought about that. We've, we looked at the evidence and there's evidence out there. But then we started to think a little bit bigger and we thought about enhanced recovery, which, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, everything has been driven to an enhanced recovery uh, process. Um, and, and we thought to, to look at enhanced recovery specifically and said, you know, if we do everything right, if we do everything in an enhanced recovery protocol right, does regional anesthesia really make a difference? And that was really the key driver. We didn't really know how to go about answering that question because it's actually kind of a difficult question to answer. We, we did the best that we could, but the reason why regional anesthesia was important, I mean, you, you kind of you kind of touched upon it before, is avoidance of unnecessary procedures. Do we really need to be doing blocks if we're doing everything else right? And that was really the premise of what we were trying to answer. And we went in there with an open mind. And, you know, as you said, I'm, I love regional anesthesia. I do it all the time. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I investigate, I research it, I practice it in my clinical practice. And we've got one of the forefathers of modern regional anesthesia as well, and Vincent Chan, again. So we really wanted, in a way, almost to, to show that regional anesthesia probably does make a difference, but we had to be really open-minded when we approached this. I think that's a really great background, and I think that uh, all great studies yeah, have um, yeah, some some justification, some question that remains unanswered. It's something that um, yeah, we have to continually revise because we know that evidence is always changing. Um, why did you opt to conduct a systematic review? Yeah, what were the advantages of that type of uh, uh, design, um, especially when compared to the potential for a large multi-center RCTs or even a pragmatic study. Yeah, no, I mean it's always it's always really difficult because a multi-center RCT is really an ideal sort of design, and perhaps down the line we need to think about this. But how did we know that there was a need for an RCT for a large pragmatic RCT? Right? How do we know that there is a need for that? Uh, and you know that by looking at the evidence and analyzing the evidence that already exists. And to do that, I think the best way to look and analyze the evidence that already exists to make a decision about whether you can accept the evidence that's already there and make changes or not to clinical practice, or you need to build on that evidence, you need to do a, a systematic review. So so this, uh, the other advantage of a systematic review, certainly in this setting, is it allowed us to have you know, a wide range of procedure, wide range of patient demographics from wide range of backgrounds, really different countries, different uh, um, ways that ERAS may have been implemented, but been implemented. 
Um, and the only constant really there with that diversity of background is enhanced recovery uh, and um, a randomized trials comparing regional anesthesia to otherwise. So we really wanted to understand what had already been done rather than start from scratch in the first instance and understand what, what already existed out there before going on to design something that, that actually probably does need to be designed. Yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, we know that yeah, even a single center RCT it takes an incredible amount, amount of resources. The coordination for you know, a lot of these multi-center studies um, is really impossible without um, external funding. Um, so looking specifically at the methodology of your paper, uh, from the initial query you know, of over 2,500 articles you know, from the search, you ended up including 13 articles. So how, how did you get there? This is the short, short version um, of the question. And, and what influenced your selection of these inclusion and exclusion criteria? Yeah, so this is often um, uh, this is often the case with with systematic reviews. Is you start with a bunch of papers that you need to sift through, um, uh, and then once you've sifted through that twenty five hundred articles, and you end up with thirteen at the end, you, you're thinking, "Gosh, how did we not need to include all of that possibly really useful data?" But what we really wanted is we wanted two key things other than it being randomized study and the study design, but we wanted two key things. We wanted to make sure that the data that we were including had enhanced recovery on one side and had a regional anesthetic intervention on the other. So, so the, the intervention was really, really important. Uh, and that population of interest um, uh, in terms of the PICO question was also really important. And, you know, how do we know that ERAS was done. Now, this is a really, really difficult question. And that was one of the key things, I think, that led to us filtering down to just 13 studies. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about this now, or maybe we could touch upon it later, um, Ed. Um, but but I think the, the key here that that meant we lost a lot of papers from inclusion was really the ERAS element. Yeah. But why don't you expand on that a little bit? So how yeah, incorporating ERAS into the definition or including the definition or specifying a definition of ERAS, yeah, how did that affect your selection of articles? Massively. I mean, it, it is really hard. So, so how do I know that, um, uh, that in a colorectal surgical population in an RCT that someone's done ERAS? Well, there's only one or two ways, really. Um, the first way is if they say they've done it and you've got to take them at face value and they say this population was an enhanced recovery uh, protocol. Great. So they've said they've done it. I can take their word for it. That's fine. But what if they didn't explicitly say they've done it? Um, is it fair for us to exclude them if they've actually done an enhanced recovery protocol, but n not explicitly said it? Well, it's a bit hard to kind of exclude based on that. So we had to actually sift through all of those papers and look at the different elements of enhanced recovery that may or may not have been reported in um, in each paper. And if they've reported in two different phases of enhanced recovery uh, 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 of the perioperative phase, um, uh, if they've reported something that, that was part of the enhanced recovery protocol in a couple of phases, then we said actually, I mean, it's clear that these, these, are tr these um, researchers are actually involved in an enhanced recovery pathway, although they may not explicitly say it. So they're the two key elements of, of uh, you know, trying to sift through. And of course, we kind of 
got down in the end to to the age-old question of did did it really work? Was this a proper enhanced recovery uh, pathway? Um, and I kind of liken it a little bit to regional anesthesia when you look at studies and you say, right, um, uh, population A, they had a radial nerve block um, uh, and uh, what proportion of those radial nerve blocks actually worked. And we're going to assess how long the block lasts. Well, if the block didn't actually work, you can't really assess how long the block lasted. So I need to look at what the outcomes are here. And one of the key drivers of enhanced recovery really is length of stay. And we think that a length of stay of around five days is probably appropriate in um, as a as a really appropriate target in in colorectal surgery. And so that was really the key. So mm-hmm. we looked at if they had said it, if they uh, had uh, evidence that they've done it, and if it actually worked. Um, we're not the first people to 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 look at if it actually worked. I mean, I think we tried to do that with the Icarus project um, uh, with Stavros Mamsudis mm-hmm. recently, where we tried to look at um, length of stay and in enhanced recovery patients. And if, if regional anesthesia actually made a difference to those patients. Um, uh, but, you know, that was that was one of the challenges really is is the definition of effective enhanced recovery. That's always difficult. I mean, there are no perfect studies, of course, and you have to make decisions. And you have to make the decisions ahead of time as part of the study design before you get engaged in the study activities. So um, it's always interesting. And I think that for for those of us, especially for the two of us who work together, and then for for all of our colleagues who are out there doing research, I think um, these are important elements. And I think that there is no perfect study. There are always questions. Um, Often the the toughest ones are frequently raised by the investigators themselves. Um, speaking about enhanced recovery, I mean, it seems to me uh, from what I've read that the definition of enhanced recovery just keeps changing. And uh, Professor Kalate himself has commented in writing and verbally um, that protocols today are way more complicated than the original concept that he had pioneered decades ago. Um, how can you truly know if a protocol is enhanced recovery? And how can you tell um, that all the elements are adhered to, especially when looking at the papers as part of a review. You can't really know for sure. That is 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 the honest answer. It, we tried and tried and tried, and and it's really really hard. Um, and so because it's so difficult to know for sure, uh, maybe uh, maybe looking at evidence of a successful enhanced recovery is the most robust way of analyzing it. And perhaps length of stay is a key measure of a system's robustness in applying ERAS principles, um, as it is one of the primary drivers of enhanced recovery, really. You want patients to get out of hospital as soon as possible, because if they do, then it means that everything else has gone reasonably well, and they're recovering well. And, you know, there's obviously benefits to, to institutions as well as individual patients. So, I mean, that was really the fundamental principle here is it's super difficult to know for sure but the only way that we think that we can be a little bit comfortable that enhanced recovery may have been effective and actually truly implemented is if it worked 
Yeah, it's an interesting combination, I think, that your criteria of yeah, having had yeah, some explicit description of enhanced recovery, at least in the, in the article's um, uh, description of their own system, uh, looking at uh, more than one phase of care, um, I think is, is an important one. And I think we know that that's truly um, integral to enhanced recovery. Um, and, then, and then having a, an outcome you know, that leads to the, the proof, so to speak, um, you know, of did, you know, do you have a system you know, that can reliably produce the expected outcome? Um, in terms of when you're looking at your review um, and assessing you know, the effectiveness of regional anesthesia and analgesia, you chose to evaluate analgesic efficacy. Uh, how did you shoot, come to that outcome? Yeah, and, and was this, um, how did you determine the way that you wanted to study that as an outcome with the review? Yeah, um, so given that the studies we were looking at were randomized studies comparing regional anesthesia to um, a control arm, uh, really one of the, the key benefits of regional anesthesia is is analgesia really and analgesic efficacy and that's really kind of what we we want to do and we talked about this i think you and you and me may have talked about this at some point um recently in that um you know maybe it's not such a bad thing for us to say that patients have effective analgesia short term we talk about long-term patient outcomes and that is super duper important but perhaps we need to be accepting of the fact that actually these short-term analgesic benefits really help. They may affect long-term outcomes. I'm not really sure yet, um, but they may. But they definitely affect patient experience and patient quality of recovery. And there is no shame in saying that effective analgesia in the immediate post-operative phase is good. And so I think that that is an important outcome. As a person who could be a patient, I want to be comfortable after my operation. I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah, I think that's a, I mean, that that's a great observation. And, and I think, um, and I remember we, we did have, we have had these conversations, I think in person. And I, I, I think what we've, we've written about this as well, where uh, sometimes I think that we, um, we put so much responsibility on this one thing. Um, and, and expect that it's you know going to perhaps you know, and we would all like to think that it, it's going to have this long-term um, you know, outcome, you know, which uh, would be ideal, of course. You know, but at the same time, uh, there are so many benefits in the short term um, that come from you know, that type of provision of care, and we see it every day. Um, I think um, kind of along those lines. I mean, do you think do you think analgesic efficacy? This is a little bit of a loaded question. Do you think that's a clinically meaningful outcome? Um, and yeah, and speaking about the patient experience, if if you had other outcomes that you would have liked access, imagine you had uh, the ideal studies yeah, f- for which to use in your review. Um, yeah, what would be those outcomes that you would have liked to compare if you had those data available? You know, what is missing in our measurement of outcomes? So um, you're kind of, um, it is very loaded, this question. Um, uh, but you're kind of asking me how I would actually design that perfect multi-center RCT to help us answer this question. Um, and analgesic efficacy would definitely be one of the outcomes, definitely. But would it be the primary outcome? Uh, my feeling is it would probably be one of the key secondary outcomes. 
But the primary outcome that I would really have liked to have is very clear evidence of quality of recovery. Uh, because uh, regional anesthesia, we would hope, will affect pain. And it, pain, we would hope, affects the quality of recovery. Um, uh, and, and really, that's what we want to get to. But it's really difficult because uh, quality of recovery as, a, as an outcome has only really been embraced in the last five, ten years or so. Not even ten years, five years or so. We've really started to understand a little bit more about quality of recovery scores and how important they actually are and, and how they're so multimodal and multidimensional, incorporating a wide range of patient-centered uh, outcomes in one sort of composite score. So I think that if I was to design that perfect multi-center RCT, it would be um, uh, powered to that primary outcome of quality of recovery. But I didn't, and others haven't, and we've got to be pragmatic sometimes. So mm -hmm. analgesic outcomes are actually really good markers of whether regional anesthesia does make a difference to that patient's recovery. Yeah, we, we have a lot of work to do in this area. And I think that the collection Classic. of patient-centered outcomes, you know, while we talk about the importance all the time, we know that the, the feasibility, you know, the logistics of collecting these types of data can be very, very difficult you know, with a lot of um, you know, non-response. Um, so I think that you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of room out there for all the researchers out there. We need to come up with a way to do this a little better. Um, so speaking about uh, regional analgesia and its role as part of uh, the many, many facets of enhanced recovery, um, why specifically pick on regional analgesia? So if we agree that regional analgesia is part of multimodal analgesia and multimodal analgesia is one part of enhanced recovery, so why, why single out this one element for the purposes of this study? Why not something else like you know, the, all the other elements of enhanced recovery, like early ambulation or temperature management or taking out the urinary catheter early? Um, I mean, that's a really important question. Um, I'm not, I wasn't, I mean, we weren't picking on regional anesthesia, but we love it and we do it and we want to know that it makes a difference. And that's kind of the driver. They all probably matter. It is probably worth looking at all of these elements it's really hard to do so because, um, uh, you know, a randomized control trial, randomizing patients to temperature management versus no temperature management, looking at quality of recovery would be kind of hard to do, I guess. And I don't, I haven't looked at the data set and maybe there's a study right there. Um, I don't know how, how much evidence there would be in that field, but I know that there is plenty of evidence in regional anesthesia and analgesia, and we've kind of got to start somewhere. Um, so, so Ed, do you want to do the next systematic review looking at um, uh, uh, temperature management? <laughs> I, I invite you. I'll do it with you. We could do. We'll we'll do some exploration and see whether there's any anything any meat on that bone that we could work on. Um, so, let's if, if we look at so we, let's let's talk about the the thirteen included studies. So, um, yeah. as part of this project, you did a systematic review. Um, you commented in the paper that there were insufficient data for meta analysis. Can you explain how this happens? Yeah, so, I mean, you could meta-analyze, and I've seen this, people have meta-analyzed, which is basically synthesizing the data, bringing the data together from these two separate studies statistically and uh, imagining that they're one patient population and pooling the results together. And you could do that with two studies if you want. Um, but the populations are quite different. The types of surgeries that they've had are 
different. The, the, the types of blocks that they've had are different. And I personally would feel pretty uncomfortable meta-analyzing and pooling a tap block with a spinal with intrafecal morphine, for example. Uh, you know, and we can do it, but does it really help us truly understand the evidence? Does it really help us understand the, the data that, that are out there? And we thought about this and we thought it probably wouldn't. It gives nice numbers and the figures are beautiful um, when they're done nicely. But does it help us? Um, and maybe sometimes, sometimes not meta-analyzing is the right way to go. And that's kind of what we, we, we opted for here. I think that's a really good point. And I do think sometimes uh, we're very heavily invested in, in projects that we do. Um, but you know, one of the things that we have to remember as uh, scientists, as researchers, is, is equipoise. And, you know, and it's difficult sometimes to avoid overcalling your results or over overextending um, a project you know, beyond its scope, and so I think the yeah that um, that restraint I think is very telling, and so um, and I appreciate the explanation. Um, in your in the thirteen studies, yeah, there were only two that involved fascial plane blocks, and yeah, you and I have written before about um, and spoken spoken at meetings about this explosion of fascial plane block articles, hundreds per year uh, come out in in the anesthesia literature. Um, why did they not show up? Uh, so uh, the well, explosions suggest that a lot happens in a short space of time. And that short space of time is all very, very recent, really. Um, uh, and so and so there haven't actually been that many studies in the time window that we looked at that met the inclusion criteria. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe, maybe it's because we haven't been as explicit as we perhaps could be when reporting our um, RCTs on fascial plane blocks. Maybe we should be all saying using an enhanced recovery pathway. Maybe we should all be um, suggesting which elements of, of enhanced recovery we implemented in our patient care. Um, but there just weren't the data there. We, we, we couldn't find enough studies. And I was expecting loads of fascial plane block studies but in colorectal surgery with with um, enhanced recovery, I was a bit let down. That's I think that's a good that's a good point, and I think that uh, at least initially when we looked at um, all of these new blocks you know, being described, um, you know, many of them, uh, the majority at least in the early years, you know, very heavily favored case reports in series, and 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 then followed very quickly by a lot of retrospective. Uh, reports, retrospective cohort studies, um, you know, which um, you know, clearly would not have met your inclusion criteria. Um, would I be correct if I summarized your findings as, as modest evidence of regional analgesic benefit in colorectal enhanced recovery, uh, with the strongest support being epidural analgesia for open procedures and intrathecal opioids for minimally invasive surgery? That's about right. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's a, a misrepresentation of of the, the 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 evidence. The key here really is modest evidence, um, and that's not saying that the evidence was strong to say that there is no benefit. Actually, the evidence is very modest, and if you look at how we've graded the level of evidence and the strength of evidence, the vast majority were low, very low, and some were moderate. You know, um, uh, but there's still clearly a lot of work 
for us to do in this field. But so far, the evidence that we currently have uh, leaves me a, a little bit less confident that regional anesthesia has a massive impact on short-term analgesic outcomes if a proper enhanced recovery pathway is implemented. But I really, really can't wait for us to repeat this study when more evidence and more people, I'm hoping some people who are viewing and 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 watching this are, are some of the researchers who are going to be doing these studies to really explicitly state that they would adhere to enhanced recovery pathway so that we really understand uh, and and we really we really know that actually regional anesthesia has kind of been implemented in that process, and we can kind of interpret the results accordingly. So, as as an expert in all things regional anesthesiology, so how do you apply your own findings to clinical practice? Uh, how broad of a brush do you recommend that we all paint with? Um. So, firstly, I. I probably disagree with you about my expertise because I really don't think I'm an expert in anything. Um, perhaps football, but anyways, not playing it, just observing it with my eyes. Um, uh, it's, I think that what I've, I've taken away from this, uh, from this study and this project is that um, I need to be a little bit, not softer, but um, a little bit more reserved in a way uh, than I probably was before about preaching the benefits of regional anesthesia to my patients, um, but but also choosing the right patients for whom regional anesthesia would, would work. I mean, we've kind of talked about this before. This the, the evidence here has also encouraged me to think actually each patient is slightly different and they all have slightly different perioperative pain trajectories. They, ha- they have different uh, uh, perioperative outcomes, and and maybe maybe some of those patients, regional anesthesia will make no difference for them. Uh, and what's the point of exposing them to an additional procedure? But maybe some patients it will make a difference for. Uh, and that's I think our next challenge is is learning to find out who really would benefit. And maybe that is one of the problems with the evidence is we've pulled patients who probably regional anesthesia, no regional anesthesia, they'll be great, um, with patients in whom even the smallest amount of additional analgesic benefit go a long way. I definitely think that if, um, in the context of the project that you did, if, if you're in a health system where you have robust enhanced recovery already, and you have all of these elements, because enhanced recovery is hard, um, we know that if you have that in place and your patients are going home five days or less, you're probably doing a lot of things right. If you're if you're providing patients multimodal analgesia, you're focusing on non-opioid, non-pharmacologic modalities, those patients are going to have great pain control. And, and unfortunately, that's not available for everyone. So you're already, you're doing that right too. Um, I think we know that Regional analgesia, yeah, while it's very, it's been shown to be very effective, it is one, it is one one mode. It's it's only one way of administering one class of pharmacologic agent, um, and and maybe the the influence um, is not as great when you're doing all of these other things right. And I think that's a really in, important take home point. Um, it's also important, I think, for those of us who are passionate about regional anesthesiology, you know, to recognize the fact that it's not accessible to everyone, 
And the fact that patients may be able to do well in, in locations where they don't have access to a regional anesthesiologist, if you do these other things correctly, honestly, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit inspirational um, you know, that we know that patients can get great care, uh, despite the fact that we haven't trained the whole world in regional anesthesia. Um, Kareem, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us on the Rappin Podcast. Um, many thanks to those of you for listening in, and hopefully you'll join us for the next one. Thanks again, Kareem. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rapham Focus podcast. Original music and production are done by Dan Langa. More information can be found at www.danlanga.com. We hope you'll join us in the future for more discussions with authors published in the Rapham Journal, and you can visit us at www.rapham.org.